Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and Bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. What's happening, guys? Happy Wednesday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Coming up on today's show, I'll tell you some stories about me, Floyd Mayweather, and Stipe Miocic that you need to hear. I'll also discuss some comments 
that were just made by Colby Covington. But before we get into all that, let's address the big news of the day. He would take it on Jake Paul. Apparently, not only does Shale have a track record for not knowing who's going to win a fight, apparently you can add not knowing who is going to fight. But I got to tell you this, kidding aside, I'm in. I'm into it, but I'm also into Paul, right? Paul won me over, won me over right here in front of you guys, realized he's a real guy. Him saying that he will go out and fight the best fighters available and then him signing a contract to take on a future Hall of Famer, totally different deal. I mean, it's a totally different deal. Here's what I would encourage this fight to have for me, for me, the fan. And I think we're all probably going to watch anyway, but I'm just, let's get our anticipation up, right? There's fights that we've watched, but then there's fights that we really want to see. Why are we here? I think that is always going to be a little bit of a challenge with Jake Paul because he is going to bring a crowd. First and foremost, he gets a seat at the table. As a matter of fact, at the head of the table, he gets to be in the main event because he can bring the crowd. It doesn't take away from why are we here. Let me, let me just explain historically. There used to be a time in life that it was very important to make sure that your village had a very good fighter. Because you used to have real things that you would fight for. They would come and take your land unless you had somebody to fight back. They would come and take your life unless you had somebody within your village or a few people that could band together and fight back. I mean, it, you, fighting used to be really important uh, through times in civilization. In what we do in unarmed combat, obviously, with that distinction, it's not as important. So what did somebody do along the way? They came up with a belt. And they threw a belt out there and they got guys like me to sacrifice their life and put all of their commitment and time into trying to win that damn thing. It worked. It was a great marketing tool, but it worked. And it was very important. And in boxing, and in this match specifically, there's just no belt. And we've even seen the importance of this. You guys will remember Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor, right? Everything was going swimmingly. And at the press conference, the day before the weigh-ins, they bring out a belt. They called it the money belt. It was a million dollars of encrusted diamonds. Or whatever the story was, I will tell you I was behind scenes. Somebody had left the belt. This is a true story. They left the belt at the MGM Grand. I had to go and get people with ESPN and say, hey, by the way, that's the money belt that they're claiming has got encrusted diamonds. That thing was probably worth real about $314. That isn't the point. And my point here is not to, uh, to take a, uh, and, and, and put down what they did there. It's just to prove my point that the marketing as to why we did it is very important. There has to be something up. There's some way to conclude the night. It could be a trophy you hold over a head, a medal you put over the neck, a belt you put around the waist. But it, it, it brings conclusion to the evening. And it also tells us beforehand what we're here for. They're fighting for the belt. And that historically has proven to be a very effective thing considering life and land is no longer on the table. All right. One thing when you look at it from this perspective, though, because Paul has a seat at the table, because he has such a big crowd, it still does take away a little bit of what are we here for. And I'd like to hear from Paul, by the way. And I think that all of you, oh, I really think this. I think all of you owe him a little bit of a curtsy, a little bit 
of his due respect, he is claiming that he is good enough to beat these guys, but he is now signing contracts to get in there with them. So it now does come down to, look, if you're going to go and step in there with a world champion, Jake Paul, and you plan to beat him, then that must mean that you plan to be a world champion. And if that is the case, I think he needs to come out and say it. He needs to come out and start talking about contendership, start talking about rankings, start talking about where does he go from here just to give us a little bit more of a reason a little bit more of a reason as to why are we doing this because we don't want to admit what we all know which is there's a little bit of a circus going on this is a cash grab we don't fully want to admit that we still we still want to be sportsmen at heart and it would look as though if Paul's going to tell us and I think that he's got the right I think he's got the right to answer this question and I think he has shown not only skill with the Askren fight, but also a sincerity in even taking the T-Wood fight. I think he has shown us that he at least believes what it is he means, but what it is he's saying, what it is he's here for. And is it just to beat big name guys up? It's not enough for me. It's not enough for me. I just think we could do more with the Paul experiment and experience. If he comes out and tells us, and I really think he's in a place now because now he, he's proven, Right? The problem child is now a proven child. He's proven he'll do the hard work. He's proven he'll do the media. He's proven he'll make weight. He's proven he'll step in there and agreed upon time with an agreed upon opponent. He's proven that he will take the baddest free agents out there that he can get in there with him. He really has proven this. I, you guys got to give him this. You got to give him this. In the world of sportsmanship, we got to give him, man. He, He's believing what it is he's selling, and nobody showed him wrong yet. So why are we here? What is this for? How far are we planning to go? So there has to be some way to cap off the evening, but the evening is a microcosm of the career. right? you got to have March Madness. you got to have the Final Four. you got to fight at Madison Square Garden, whatever it may be, but we, we, we have to finish the evening with the trophy, with the medal, with the belt, or with the heartache and sorrow of embarrassment, which is how most fighters in their career. In fact, every fighter that isn't named Lennox Lewis or George St. Pierre, well, I, or Khabib Nurmagomedov now gets to be part of that list of three, all finish their the, uh, career the same way, which is heartbroken and embarrassed in front of the world. But it's also that risk and that vulnerability that keeps this whole machine moving forward. And I don't know what that answer is. I think I think I could say it for T. Wood. Why are you here? Because the guy just beat up your friend. Damn good answer. It's a damn good answer. This country went to war one time in 2004. And when they asked our president why he went to war, he said on worldwide TV, because the guy I just attacked tried to kill my dad. And you know what? It was a really weird reason to go to war. And everybody stood down and accepted it. We just seem to understand that on a human level. I bring you that example because the mere fact that T. Wood is going to step in to defend his friend, it, that's a real story. And something happened between these two. I saw it. I just can't remember. I have to go back and look. Something happened between T. Wood and Jake Paul in the locker room the night of the fight. I want to say, was it like the hand wrapping? You have the right. You have the right in MMA, too. I don't think anyone has ever done it. You have the right per the rules of a commission. Boxing does do it. And I believe the MMA rules the same. It's just nobody does. You have the right to send in a representative when your opponent's hands get wrapped. 
Clayton never did it. He didn't care, but, but he had the right. He could have gone in and watched Anderson rap or Vandalay rap or John Jones rap. I mean, he, he had that right, and I know that it exists. And I say that because I believe that is why T. Wood and Paul were even in the same locker room. I think T. Wood was in there to be an observer of the hand raps, even if I have that wrong. You get the point, and something happened between those two. Is that why we're here? You got to tell me. Someone's got to tell me the story. I'm out here trying to guess it. I don't want to have to guess it. I want to be told, but I also want to be told why this matters. Is this a contendership generally in the sport of fighting? Use the UFC, but Dana will make this crystal clear to anybody that will listen. This is about one thing, champions and contenders, nothing else. If you ever prove that you cannot be a champion and you fail to be a contender, you will not be here. It sounds very cold, but we now know why we're here. And I don't know what Jake's, I don't know how far his goals are. I could say the same with his brother Logan who's about to fight Floyd. I don't know what that's about. I don't know what that's about. It rubs me the wrong way. Because they haven't told me what it's about and I don't know, I'm left to guess. And the conclusion that I have come to is that Logan would like to do a fight that he has permission to lose. I could be way off. But he hasn't told me, why are we here? Does he truly believe that he's the greatest boxer of all time, which is what Floyd represents? Does he believe he should have been a six-division world champion? Does he believe he should be 50-0? and 0? Does he believe he should be the highest-paid boxer of all time? I'll listen to any of these things. Nobody's told me, and I believe as an outsider, that he wants to box in a fight that he's allowed to lose. Of course you can lose to Floyd. Floyd's never lost. You've barely done it. De La Hoya couldn't beat him. Mayorga couldn't beat him. Ortiz couldn't beat him. It's Floyd. Nobody could beat him. Connor couldn't beat him. Of course you didn't beat him, but you went out there and tried and good job. A lot of guys do that. I mean, as much as guys will not take a fight by pricing themselves out, right? That's the new market right now. Hey, I don't want to do a fight. Oh, well, the promoter didn't pay me enough. As, as much as they will get out of a fight by doing that, they will also accept fights that they are extremely expected to lose because they view it as honorable. They view it as, it's okay. They view it as, as a matter of fact, you get valor for go out there and trying. And to some degree, that's reasonable. Ask yourself, how many of you want to go out there and fight Floyd? Oh, by the way, you have to do it with your shirt off. Oh, by the way, you have to do it in front of the world. I mean, right? It's, it's a tough proposition. In many ways, Logan does have the right to lose. But if you have the right to lose and that's your built-in mechanism, what are we doing here? Bring in somebody who didn't think they were going to lose. Bring in somebody who it did matter to. Do you see my point? I just want them to succeed at this. I want them to, to come in with this little bit of a storyline. And I think that it's wide open. I will tell you, when, when old Chael had an interest in this for 20 minutes, the storyline was going to be the winner faces Mike Tyson. And Jake and I are big enough to make that happen. I think that maybe Logan and Floyd should have drawn into the winner takes on Oscar De La Hoya. And Floyd may not want to humble himself, to say I have to go out there and earn the right by going through this guy to get a hold of a guy that I already beat up in his prime. But I think my point still sticks, which is this is about something, and only one of you is going to go on. That's why it's so important that the winner gets and then fill in the blank, because only one of you goes on. One of your journey stops here. And us, the audience, must believe, truly believe, that that journey continuing is the most important thing in your life, that you have worked hard, that you have sacrificed, that you have buckled down, and that you will put it all on the line because you are the rightful recipient to get said recognition. 
I bring it to you because I think we're going to have some fun. Paul's going to go do Paul, and he's going to do it great. But T-Wood's pretty damn good at this, too. T-Wood's a bit of an entertainer himself. T-Wood's an All-American. T-Wood's a world champion. T-Wood's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And T-Wood's a friend of Ben Askren. I think every one of those is a meaningful ingredient as to why this fight matters, but they have got to tell us. Coming up in a moment, I'll tell you about something that one of Tyron Woodley's rivals just said, but before we get there, here's a word about one of our sponsors. Today's episode of Your Welcome is brought to you by Seed, the daily symbiotic your gut can't live without. Is your probiotic lying to you? Ask for the receipts, the science receipts. Guys, fact, many probiotics cannot survive the trip to your gut. But Seed's Daily Symbiotic can and does. The scientists over at Seed came up with a patented delivery technology, which is a capsule-in-capsule design containing both pre- and probiotics. This design safeguards the probiotics as they travel through the rough conditions of stomach acid, enzymes, bile, salts, all while delivering the strains 100% alive and well to the colon, where they can offer all the health benefits they were created to. I gotta tell you guys, my body feels great and I've experienced a lot more mental clarity since taking seed. It's been easy to take and it comes in very handsome packaging. More and more scientific research is proving that a smooth running digestive system helps with effective training. This product has been engineered for the body's optimal performance in all areas. That's something to keep in mind for you pro and aspiring athletes out there. If you want to start a new healthy habit today, visit seed.com slash chael. Use the code chael to redeem 20% off your first month of Seed's Daily Symbiotic. That's seed.com slash chael. Use the code chael, C-H-A-E-L, for 20% off. Colby Covington, oh, he was on fire. Colby Covington was weighing in on the Ultimate Fighter, okay, which is going to be debuting in a number of hours here with this new season. It's Ortega versus Volkanovski, and Colby was weighing in. Now, Ortega fired back at him, and I want to say Volkanovski did too, and I believe Colby was coming from a standpoint of, I think Colby was going to do that. I think at one point, Colby and Masvidal were going to coach each other and then go on and have this mega fight, presumably for the BMF, but either way, to settle their beef, that would have been huge. I mean, I, I could only imagine watching those guys. That would have been really great. When Colby weighed in on this, though, it did make me think in a totally different totally different direction. Nothing of what, if you read Colby's comments, no, nothing of the direction he was going. It did make me think, do we need to do the ultimate fighter with keep having these guys coach and then go on and fight at the end of it? Do we need to do that? I don't know. It used to be a huge vehicle. That used to be the biggest fight you could put on in the whole year. Whatever the coach versus the coach, right? Rashad versus Rampage, but we got to go through the ultimate fighter first. Get through that, come on the backside of it. You were just guaranteed this mega fight. I don't know if that is still the case. 
I mean, there's so many big fights. There's so many opportunities. The ultimate fighter, I, I will tell you for me, I'll personalize this, but that was so damn fun. That was on Monday nights. 2005 is the year that it came out. And I personally had teammates on it because Randy Couture went and was the first ever coach. It was Randy Couture versus Chuck Liddell. But so when Randy went, he took Nate Quarry. He took uh, Chris Lieben with him. I mean, guys that I knew. This is how we get introduced to Diego Sanchez. I was a wrestling fan, so I knew who Josh Koscheck was. I, mean, I could just start dropping these names, but now every single Monday, something to look forward to. And I was even in the practice room with these guys, and they were all sworn to secrecy to never say, and none of them did. So even though I'm in the room with Chris Lieben, who I'm going to go home and watch on TV that night, I had no idea what the results were. I used to get together with Joel every Monday. We would talk about it all week. We'd talk about it all day. We'd go sit down, free TV, no pay-per-view. We had an hour drama to look forward to, training sessions, stuff that we love, away and then an actual fight every Monday. Now, you may not be able to relate to that because we're so spoiled in terms of content and content offerings and how many matches there are that we get to look forward to. Of course, there's a fight a week. There's a fight every single Saturday. Sometimes there's two. I get it, but it, didn't, it wasn't that way in 2005. 2005, by example, and I debuted in the UFC in 2005, so that year I kind of remember a little bit different, but it was also the Ultimate Fighter, but I remember the announcement came that there was going to be 11 events that year. This was like shocking news to fighters who now have opportunity, fight fans that want to watch. It was like shocking. Oh my God, 11 events. It used to be six per year. And it used to be five in Pride. Pride would go five times. UFC would go six times. So almost once a month. But that's just what it was. And that was up from the four that it used to be. You used to have to wait three months in between shows. So now you have one every week. But I'm only giving you this history lesson because it used to be so damn exciting to watch The Ultimate Fighter. It was so, it was so special. So then you had those 11 weeks and those two coaches, and they fought. It was a tremendous vehicle. It was the, the greatest vehicle, I would argue, for many years in the entire sport. Those were coveted positions. If you got that phone call, not only to be on the Ultimate Fighter, but to coach the Ultimate Fighter, that was very competitive, and they were very coveted. And I'm only asking the question. I'm not weighing in on an opinion. I'm asking the question of, do we still need to have... Ortega versus Volkanovska. We do, we, do we still need to watch them see 11 weeks and then have them fight? Or would we be better off to just bring in coaches? You could even do actual coaches. You, you could have Javier Mendez or Greg Jackson, by example. You could have some old veterans come in. You could have Chuck Liddell come in and do it opposite Forrest Griffin. But guys that are now in, in that part of their career, would that work better? I don't know the answer. I'm creating conversation. But there is some evidence to look back on. I was part of the IFL. Do you guys recall International Fight League? An International Fight League came out like a ball of fire. They even got an IPO and went on the NASDAQ. It was a publicly traded company. These guys were doing great, but one of the things that they were going to do, in fact, maybe the biggest thing they were going to do, is team versus team. It was scored. If you guys are wrestling fans, maybe think of like a dual meet. So you're going to have five guys, and this team's going to have five guys, and a knockout's worth whatever it's worth, and a decision's worth whatever it was worth, and they had this whole thing broken down. But then at the end of the season, you would even crown a champion, but it was in the form of a team. 
Now where this got a little bit tricky is we were taking actual teams. Matt Lindland had a team. It's called Team Quest. I was part of the team. When we went into the IFL, we were called the Wolf Pack. We were given jerseys and we were given a, ma uh, a mascot and we had, ow, and we were the Wolf Pack. And in hindsight, it was just a little bit bizarre that we took an actual team with our actual coach, but didn't use our name. Why didn't we go in as Team Quest? And then we used to fight Henzo Gracie's team. But Henzo's team was team, and they were like the Pit Bulls, or they were something along. They got renamed. So right at the very end of the IFL, as it was hemorrhage and money that was just about to go off the air, they got the bright idea to keep the teams going, but just call them what they're called. Call the AKA the AKA. Call the American Top Team the American Top Team. Call the Black Zillions the Black Zillions, by example. And that made a lot of sense, I will tell you. I don't know if that experiment would have worked because they ran out of money and they folded up shop and it was gone like two months into this. But in theory, I sure got it a lot more. That was interesting to me. How would Team Quest do against Team Henzo? How would, and this got tested on an Ultimate Fighter. I love the season of the Black Zillions versus the ATT. And not just because of the real life backstory and drama between the two owners and founders, but it was actual teams. I just got it. Yeah, take the cameras over here. Let's train in your facility because it's your facility. We don't need a set. Bring the cameras over here to the Black Zillions and train in your facility because it's your facility. We don't need a set. I liked it. I thought there was something to it. And I, I would like to know what you guys think in terms of the Ultimate Fighter. Do you still look forward to those two coaches settling their dispute or going at it at the end of the season the same way that you used to when it was BJ Penn versus Jens Pulver, by example? Or do you think that maybe putting a, that actual coaches in there? Use Javier Mendez, use Greg Jackson. Great examples. Or bringing in some old veterans but are now in that stage of their career. Chuck Liddell, Forrest Griffin. I'm throwing ideas at you. I, I weigh no opinion. I think, I'm, I think I'm looking forward to this. I got a couple of hours to go before it debuts. I'm looking forward to it. But what do you think? What do you think about the structure? What would be the best way to go about assigning these coaching roles? Let's stay in the welterweight division and focus on a fight that Colby Covington will certainly be watching on June 12th. Where does Leon Edwards go with a win over Nate? Where does Nate go with a win over Leon? It, this is a very hard thing to predict. I read this article. I'm reading, I'm reading an article, but I just read this question, right? That, that was the clickbait. You click on it, you go into it. And largely what those conversations are trying to be had is... Who can be a bigger star? Who can get a better draw? It doesn't have anything to do with the rankings. It doesn't have anything to do with how impressive. The, where, where's their stock? And I, I only submit for you that you never know these things because nobody's a star until there's a star. George Masvidal is currently the second biggest draw in all of MMA, only behind Conor McGregor, and George was just one of the guys three years ago, right? I mean, it just doesn't happen. There was a time when Chuck Liddell... It just it just wasn't working. Tito was the big draw. Chuck was supposedly better in practice. Tito had the charisma, and then when Chuck cut on caught on, I mean, people were dressing up for him as Halloween. Chuck became the most recognizable fighter in the world. I remember when Evander Holyfield was doing everything right, but he was in the shadows of Mike Tyson, and the promoters had just ran with Iron Mike. 
Evander had to get that shot and get, he had to get his ear bit off just to, to get the kind of acclaim. I'm only reminding you of this because we don't know. How's Leon going to beat him? That might have something to do with it. Does he go out and lay on top of him? Does he go out and control him for more rounds than he gets controlled? Or does he go out there and KO Nate? I don't believe anybody's put Nate down, ever. That's off the top of my head, but I don't believe Nate's ever been knocked out. Certainly if Nate was ever to tap to somebody, I mean, th this would be a little bit more shocking and impressive news that could catapult somebody further. There could be a certain interview done at the end of the night. Look, Masvidal was getting ready to fight Covington, Usman, gets a win over Burns, goes on ESPN with a stick in his hand, calls for Masvidal. I mean, Masvidal's sitting there, great, that's my name. Perfect. I guess I'm fighting for the title, right? I mean, it's, just, it's one of those things. Very hard to predict ahead of time. And there's not a full recipe. I've talked to you guys before about uh, UFC fighter summits. But I remember the one in 2008, or it was 2009, and Dana stood up in front of the group. And you know, this is very meaningful coming from Dana because he is the promoter. It is his job to make you interesting. Nobody's going to make you a star except for your promoter. It's one of the most important things when a fighter signs with a promoter of what can you do for me. So many fighters are now looking at it. Who offered me more? This guy or this guy? Great, that's who I go with. They shouldn't look at it that way. They should very much look at it for who is the better promoter, who's got the outlets, who's got the platforms, who believes in me, who has a plan for me. There's all sorts of questions that should be considered Right up there with signing bonus, purse, win, show. I mean, there's a promoter, right? So when the promoter stands up in front of the group, and this is Dana, and he said, you know what? I don't know what it takes to make a star. I've sure made plenty of them, though, and they all have one thing in common, which is they win their fights. You want to know what to do on your end of this? Go win your fights, because what does that mean? That means you get another fight, which means not only did I tell your story, I will now get to tell it again. And I can keep telling it to as many people will, will listen for as many people as think that this is interesting as long as you stay under contract. And the only way I can promise you either of those things happen is that you win your fights. It was very simple. It was very to the point. But I remember it. It was straight from the guy whose job it is to make us interesting to say the best thing you can do is to come back. Come back again. Tell the story again. And I, I only bring that because Leon sure checks a lot of boxes, whether people want to admit it or not. Leon's fun to watch. He's good looking. He's got something to say. He's got a bit of a story. He's got the push and pull in the back with Masvidal. He's starting main event cards. He's getting more and more attention. Now he's going to be in there with Diaz and they like a special rules match. I mean, this is what this is in the world of pro wrestling. This is how Vince would have built it. We got a special rules match. Oh, really, Vince? When? What rule is different? But they got a special rule for this match, which is it's not a main event. It's not a title fight. They're going to go five rounds. Why? I'd be blowing that up if I was either one of these guys. If I was Leon or I was Nate, I'd have an entire story, and I'd make sure everybody knew that this was changed specifically for me. The history books will say I was the first to do this, and I would, I would just go out and do a little bit better job of telling that story but as far as predicting where does Leon go, I mean, look, I got to ask you guys a question, which is, is Usman Covington booked? Because I thought it was. I thought it was for a long time. I know that Colby's training for it. I know Usman's not trying to get out of it. But at some point, Usman's going to face the very tough question that the true greats, St. Pierre, have to face, which is, I'm going to have to not only beat everybody, I'm going to have to beat them a second time what order do I want to go in?
It's totally different if Usman, who was the champion, was trying to pick and choose and navigate the streams. He'd had every right to do it, but we would have every right to identify it and call him out. It's very different when he's going to have to go through the deck a second time. It's very different in choosing in which order do I do that. He has a very good understanding at this point. Who can cause him the most problems as he sees it? He's got every right to go and get the biggest paycheck for the easiest fight. That is the name of the game. But it's very different in calling Usman out when he's going through the deck a second time. And I, I only bring that to you because if Usman is not tied up with Colby, if I've got that, I've had this one wrong four times. I don't know why I keep on thinking that's a done deal. Maybe because it makes the most sense. Maybe because it should have been redone. Maybe because it was the hardest and most competitive and dirtiest match I've ever seen at 170 pounds. And it would have been remade, but there was a rumor started that Colby had a broken jaw. At any rate, I digress. The point is this. I don't know if that fight's made. And there may be an opportunity to still come in and steal that. And Usman's got a couple of directions he can go when you're going through the deck a second time. He gets a little bit more leeway. He just does. And Colby is very stubborn that it's Usman or it's Masvidal, or it's both of them at the set, but it's going to be Usman and or Masvidal, right? It's, it's one of these things where I do think that Leon, with the right performance, and I would even argue that for Nate if Nate wanted the opportunity. That's another question you have to ask. Does Nate want to fight for the world championship? If Nate goes out and beats Leon... Does Nate want to fight Usman? I'm not certain that we know that answer. I'm not certain if Nate beats Leon that Nate isn't going to go after Masvidal and say, to, to hell with that belt, you got another one and we got two rounds that are left, right? That's why Nate's interesting because we don't know. Nate is very interesting because he will keep you guessing, right? When you think you've got the answers, he changes the questions. I suggest for you to be a little bit more open-minded, though, to Leon. Leon's stock could really bounce. It's probably going to come down to some intangibles. It's probably going to come down, how does he win if he wins? How impressive uh, does he look even in victory? Leon's probably going to get a little bit harder judgment than some other people. But I think that the verdict needs to be open. I th and I think we need to be open to the idea of the performance. What is said and done before and after? And what direction does he... Point the cannon. So you heard me mention Floyd Mayweather earlier when I talked about Jake Paul and T. Wood, which makes me think of a story about Floyd that I want to share with you. And I promise that it does relate to Khabib. Guys, there's great lessons that you learn in life, and there's nothing in life like getting out there and doing it. And my father used to talk about this. He would call it the price of an education. He, my father did not go to college. So he would get into some business stuff and it didn't always go well, but he'd come home and he'd tell my mom, he'd go, yeah, but I'm paying for my education. I, I, I didn't spend 200 grand on a degree. So I'm taking that money I would have given to a fancy university and I'm now putting it in the workplace, but this is how I learn. And I, I just share that with you because it was something that I used to hear around the house a lot, price of an education, but boy, was my dad right. There is nothing quite like just jumping in and doing something. And I will reflect back of some of the great nights or moments that I had in this sport. And I, I don't mean from a, a point of glory for learning something. Whoa, I just learned something. I would take it with me. I had a great night, guys, 2005. I was working with the Oregon State Athletic Commission. I was assigned, I was an assigned inspector. 
So my level of participation, I had on the Oregon State Athletic, uh, you know, I had this special shirt on and I got the special uh, lanyard, so I came in through the back doors. But I was doing, it was at the Rose Garden, Sean Babe Mitchell versus a, uh, an up-and-coming boxer by the name of Floyd Mayweather. And this was, I should tell you, because it's relevant to his career, this was Pretty Boy Floyd. Do you guys remember Pretty Boy Floyd Mayweather? Not Money Mayweather. Pretty Boy Floyd Mayweather, when he still couldn't get attention. He hadn't broken out yet. And Sean Bay Mitchell, not for nothing, might have been the bigger name on that card. Sean Bay Mitchell was a former world champion. Floyd was an up-and-comer. Year was 2005. So I get assigned, assigned to Floyd's locker room. And the only job that I have to do is to watch him from the time he reports until he goes to the ring. I cannot take my eyes off him. That if, if he was to go to the bathroom, if he was to strip naked and change, I have to watch Floyd. At some point in there, they're going to wrap his hands. Nothing could go on his body. Nothing goes into his system, right? So th this is my role. So I'm just sitting in the locker room with Floyd. Now, Floyd had three kids in the room. There wasn't one of them that was over 14, and I don't know how young they were. They could have 12, 11. He had three kids in the room, and one of them had, and this was when, we're still telling you the times, right? With ghetto blasters, remember those? You carry them in. They have two big speakers, and there's like a cassette tape in the middle. And one of them's whole job is Floyd would tell, put this tape in, move to track three, put this tape in, and this kid would just keep on changing music. Floyd, Floyd would say, turn it up, turn it up. Now, this is for hours. And Floyd is just sitting on this chair. He never gets up. Guzman was the promoter of this event, and it was written in Floyd's contract. They were on HBO, and Floyd would make his walk at exactly, exactly 7.52. He was to leave the locker room at 7.52. The window went live at 8 o'clock, and the opening shot is going to be Floyd walking out. So they're going to remove him from the locker room at 7.52, and they're going to put him behind the curtain at 7.57. And this is written in a contract, and Floyd had better be on his marks because we're going live around the world. Now, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't have any idea that that's written into a contract. I don't think about the TV side or the business side of things. This is a straight adjudication that's going to take place in a 17 by 17K uh, ring under the Queensberry's rules at the discretion of the Oregon State Athletic Commission. I never, it, I don't know that this is a business and there's a show. I don't know that there's cues and there's marks. I don't know about this lights, camera, action. So it was this major introduction I got, but... It came with one crowning moment, which was all of the headlines of how many tens of millions of dollars Floyd Mayweather made. I was in the locker room when they brought him his biggest check at that time, highest paid guy on the card that night, and it was four and a half million dollars. The relevance to the four and a half million, okay, and the difference between Floyd and everybody else who has priced themselves out of having a job is Floyd publicly said it was $25 million. He publicly told the media of the tens of millions of dollars. He publicly told people, but he accepted a much more reasonable deal. Why? Because that was fair and that's what could get done. And Floyd knew there's a mark. This isn't, let me just say, some crazy amount. This is a sport that I want to compete in. I need people to set this up. I need somebody to fight with me. All of them deserve to be paid, so let's do something that's fair. And that's how Floyd did business, which is why Floyd still fights to this day. Now, the only thing more embellished 
than Floyd Mayweather's purses are Floyd Mayweather's pay-per-view numbers, but that's okay. It's a story, and he still gets to walk out there and be part of it. And when I do juxtapose Floyd against the other guys who price themselves out of the sport, there's one difference. Floyd still has a job, and they don't. And you could go back as far as you want. You could go back to when they needed somebody to fight Klitschko and Lennox Lewis pipes up and says, I'll do it for a hundred million dollars. That's the same thing as saying, no, I don't want to fight Klitschko. It's the exact same thing. No business leader hears, hey, Lennox is uh, interested at a hundred million. Let's get him in and start negotiations. They're going to look at me. He doesn't want to do the fight. Same with everybody else who ever tries to price himself out of a fight. It's a perfectly fair and it's the brave way of getting out of a very hard job that you didn't want to do in the first place. But there is no exceptions to the rule. We're seeing this in reverse done with Khabib. Somebody's offering Khabib $100 million to box. Khabib is making a point. I don't want to do this anymore. It's not about the money. It was never about the money. You're not going to get me for the $100 million. You're not going to get me for $100. And if there's ever a day that I want to go out and do the sport, the price also won't stop me. I'll show up and I'll do the sport. It's very honorable. It's very sincere and it's very honest. But it's also Khabib telling us, I just don't want to do this anymore. And the rest of us having to show him respect and saying, okay, we understand. But I can read the same articles today about Khabib turning down $100 million as I read one on Chuck Liddell earlier today. Well, Chuck will box enough. I can't remember who the opponent was if they want to pay him enough money. Well, nobody wants to pay you enough money. And nobody wants to watch you fight if you're only doing it for the money. It's, it's one of the reasons that pricing yourself out is so effective if that's what you don't want to do. If you want to get out of going and doing this, very easy, just throw a number. So when I'm seeing Chuck do this, I don't fault Chuck. Chuck missed the entertainment era. He missed it completely. Guys like me would drive Chuck Liddell a purist, oh, make him sick to his stomach, right? At the same time, if Chuck's coming out and saying, I'll do it for X price, that price doesn't exist. Let me stop you right there. There's no promoter that needs you or anybody else enough to start paying money that's not going to be sustainable and cost them their business. And there's no real fans, and I know that's a broad stroke, but... For the purpose of broad strokes, fans don't want you in there if the reason you're in there is for the pay. They want you in there for the reasons that they all got behind Khabib, by example, which is he wanted something out of it. He wanted competition. He wanted legacy. He wanted to prove his point against this person. They wanted conflict. They wanted conflict resolution, and we all go home. And I only share this with you because many people read the blueprint that Floyd Mayweather put out. I was there personally. I was there in a private moment. What Floyd made that night is not my business to tell you guys. It's been 16 years. I'm telling you guys. When Floyd bought, fought Sean Bay Mitchell, I was there. I saw his check was $4.5 million. I saw SportsCenter that night. And I read the headlines in the paper the next day. And those stories and those headlines will not reflect what I'm sharing with you to be a fact, but it's also a reason that Floyd's still around. Floyd went over to Japan and fought a gentleman, Tyson, Tenson, I can never t say this guy's name, T-E-N-S-I-O-N, for $8 million. 
He did that like two years ago. It took Floyd about 25 seconds. He grabbed eight millions, took a private jet from Tokyo, and went right back to Las Vegas. But that was a very reasonable price to go in to a different country and fight a guy who you outweigh by 15 pounds, which is a big size advantage. 15 pounds at 140 pounds, that's a meaningful size advantage for Floyd. Oh, and by the way, this Tenson who I'm talking about had never boxed before. So a very small guy who's never done it is going to take on Floyd. How much money do you want for that? So Floyd came out and he talked about the 80 million and he talked about the 100 million, but behind closed doors, he agreed to do a job at a pretty hefty rate. 8 million to fly over against a guy who'd never done it before. I mean, right, do you, do you understand the point? But there is a business in the way that Floyd does business. Most obviously that Floyd continues to do business. He continues to. Other guys try to read the playbook they think that they understand and they price themselves out of a market and they end up not fighting again. That could be Lennox Lewis. It could be the comment, I'm not trying to kick our own Chuck Liddell, but it could be the comment that Chuck had just made. It could be what John Jones is going through. There's a number of ways, honorably, to get out of doing something that you don't want to go and do. And in this space, pricing yourself out seems to be number one. It's just one that the fans and audience have accepted. You can even get some of the media to go along with you. Well, they should have paid him. I mean, right? You, you can get a little bit of run for your no, I don't want to do it approach within this sport. But there is a difference in the guys who continue to do it. I'm just bringing you this one example. One example, 2005, old Shale had a job to do. I'm watching Money May. But the check that I saw him accept versus the headlines were different. And there's a brilliance in that. There's a simplicity in it. There's something simple about embellishment. I understand that. But of all the names that I just dropped for you, one of them is still employed. Before I head out for today's show, I want to tell you another story that you'll enjoy hearing because I promise it relates to the former heavyweight champion of the world, Stipe Miocic. Oh my gosh, guys, it, it is so hot. You want to know one thing I have never complained about in my life and won't, I'm going to, I'm going to do it right now, it'll be the first time and the last time, is being hot. I would never talk about this. I didn't grow up with air conditioning. I know a lot of people, uh, I know a lot of you can relate, but my father was a horseman specifically. So it was very common if we're driving down the road, we got a horse trailer and move, we're moving horses from one place to another. And sometimes that was even out of state. We'd have to go to Churchill Downs or we'd have to get them, right? We'd have to get them to the paddock at Antioch Downs. It could be 14, 20 hours in a truck. And my dad would never turn the air conditioning on because... The horses didn't have air conditioning, so he didn't think it was fair. He doesn't. He didn't think that it, that we, us turning AC on was fair when they're in the horse trailer standing in the hot of day. And if we could match them at least temperature wise, we would know when they needed to rest and when they needed water. It was this whole thing. I just I don't know anything about it. Didn't grow up with air conditioning. Don't care about it. Used to practice in a room that had a great big industrial commercial sized heater and it would be hot enough anyway and Coach Pittman would turn that heater on. It was the only thing you'd hear. We didn't have music playing or a radio going. You had this furnace going because Coach Pittman had the theory that you were, which I think he's right, you're less likely to be hurt if your body is warm. 
And then coming through as a wrestler, we had saunas attached to the workout room. After practice every day, no matter what, no matter how tired you were, just by habit. It was just like showering or changing your clothes or walking out to the car. Just by habit, you leave the practice room, you go get in the box. You get in the sauna. So you will never hear me complain about being hot. And I can remember many people in the practice room. I'll go back to the Coach Pittman days. I would be out on the mat sweating and we're dying. And we got one water break and a two-hour period. I remember being so hot. And I could still remember the mothers. And I could give their names out right now. That would be sitting on the side watching practice and fanning themselves because it was so hot in there. And they would literally be making faces. And I remember looking up and going, we're, we're doing the practice. You're sitting on your butt. And therefore are the reasons I would never complain about heat. And why do I bring it up today? Because it's so hot where I am, it causes me to sweat. And when I start to sweat and I get it above my lips, you guys spot it. And I used to never know this. Before I had this studio, started doing the YouTube channel, I was doing a podcast. I would get into my car, I would put a lav mic on, and then I would have a buddy in the passenger seat filming me. And I would drive around. We called them car videos. But that was the studio. When it was time to go to the studio, that's what I went and got in the truck. And we just drove around. And I remember one of the very first days. Because I was just doing hot laps around my neighborhood. I'd pull up to the stop sign, turn here. I would do it for like an hour. And my buddy Ryan was telling me, hey man, you need to go somewhere else. You're going around the same neighborhood. You're passing the same houses. You're passing the same cars. And the viewers are going to know. And I remember thinking that was such a ridiculous statement. But how Nobody is that observant. Nobody. I didn't even know that I was doing it for the last 45 minutes until you pointed out. We put the piece out. Sure enough, you guys recognize the houses. And you recognize the cars. And you recognize the bus that I kept passing. And it was, it was one of these things that over time turned into something pretty funny. I remember being in that very truck one day and a bird left us a present. That was in the shot and the kids online so good with the Photoshop, they were taking it, they were sending it around. It turned into a whole, do you call it a meme? You call it a meme? What do you call that M-E, meme? Turned into this whole meme. So I'm, I'm, why am I pointing it out? I'm pointing it out so that when you guys say, hey, Chael, you're up there sweating, I'm aware. I'm aware I am. I'm on the second story. It's a hot day in Oregon. And the air conditioner decided to break. And I don't care about air conditioning anyway. Been in plenty of hot rooms. I'm sitting on my ass. People are out working in the heat. I would never complain about the heat. I pointed out today to beat you guys to it. Oh, and by the way, which brings me to a point about Stipe. How does my air conditioner being broke, you ask? How does the bird leaving me a gift and how does me doing hot laps in my own neighborhood on my first week on YouTube tie me into Stipe Miocic? I will tell you how. When you make a video, you need to have something called a hook so that when I go to make a thumbnail for this, you guys can click on it. My AC being broken is likely not to do that, but the heavyweight champ is and he made a comment. He made a comment which is as follows. I am 100% positive I can beat... Francis in a rematch. I know what my mistakes were and weight is not a big deal for me. Focus on that last part. What does he mean? What does Stipe mean when he says weight is not a big deal for me? Because two weeks ago he came out and said he was going to try to get up to 250 pounds, rematch Francis, and that's a very different fight. 
20 pounds of muscle on Stipe Miocic. That's a very different fight considering he's been more competitive with Francis, representative of making it into the second round, taking four of his shots in last than seven and a half minutes. He's been more competitive with Francis than anybody else in the last two years has been. But what does he mean weight isn't a big deal for me? Did he mean that is not a stipulation I put on myself, send me that contract, I'll sign it, I'll go fight him, whatever I weigh, or does he mean I gain weight easily? I don't know. I don't know. He didn't elaborate on it. And I am hoping it's option B. I'm hoping he's saying he can gain weight easily because I'm intrigued by that. I'm intrigued by the John Jones experience of trying to gain weight. I was intrigued when Adesanya gave up the weight and moved up a weight class. Like That's a real thing for me to some degree. Because when you do have a guy as good as Stipe, it was very clear when he was in there with Francis, there was a size difference. And at heavyweight, there generally is a size difference. But it's not clear. right? That's very different. These guys had so much separation when they were on the stage at the weigh-in the day before, when they were doing the press conference the day before, when the actual fight started and the referee got out of the way the night of, man, these guys don't weigh the same thing. I got a buddy, Nick Gwizdowski, right now. Multiple-time NCAA champion, two-time world bronze medalist, and he just lost the Olympic spot to a guy named Gable. Now, where that becomes interesting is Nick beat Gable for last year's wrestle-off. So it's the same guys, but 12 months later, and it was a very different series. It's a very different series. I talked with Nick, you know. What did you learn? Where do you go from here? And he just said, man, that guy put on 20 pounds of muscle since the last time I wrestled him. I felt every damn pound of it. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to do exactly what he did to me. I'm going to go do it to everybody else. I'm going to put on 20 pounds of muscle. Interesting experiment. It's very interesting, particularly hearing this from Nick, because it is what just happened to him. What was the big difference in his match with Gable? I mean, it was only 12 months removed. What was the big difference in the score? Well, Gable was noticeably more man. He just, he was noticed. He was like a different athlete. And it was 20 pounds, which happens to be the exact amount of weight that Stipe, according to a press conference two weeks ago, or a press clip rather, said he wanted to gain. Instead of coming in at low 230s, he wants to come in at low 250s. I'm interested in that. I'm interested, but I also understand the discipline that it takes to lose weight and to gain weight. And I found it a little concerning when Stipe said weight wasn't a big deal to him. What does that mean? And I'm griping on this for a reason. I'm griping on it because of the it's going this is a mental approach to eat more calories to lift more weights, to consume more proteins, to do all of the things that you have to do to gain 20 pounds the right way of muscle is an absolute commitment. And I'm not certain, based on that statement by Stipe, that he is committed to it. And if he's not committed to it, it's not going to happen. I will tell you, gaining weight, it's different, but it's just as hard as losing weight. So if anybody knows... If anybody knows what old Stipe meant, not a big deal meaning not a deal breaker or not a big deal meaning I can do it handily, if you've got the answer, fill me in. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. Thanks for listening and also for continuing to leave reviews for the show over on Apple Podcasts. Like our friend Jay who says, Chael is hilarious and never disappoints. Well, thank you, Jay. 
And thanks to all of you, I will be back on Friday. But until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.